such a bossy bottom they all are dear look at her ah! <laughs> hey guys i didn't see you Hello, there everybody welcome in <laughs> welcome to the carpenter queens podcast coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the tcq video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day welcome fellow queerdos i am so nasty and so so rude. My name is Nicholas. Oh. <laughs> and please don't kill me, Mr. Ghosties. I want to be in the sequel. My name is Raymond. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Holy balls. We are in episode 25. Welcome to the end of our summer block boosters. Fill up on popcorn, grab a candy, maybe a soda. I prefer Icy's. Oh, can I get a mix of Coke and uh, cherry? I like the cherry and the blue. Whatever the blue is, give it to me. Ooh, it's just the color blue. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sugar. It's sugar this color blue. <laughs> How do you feel about our summer blockbusters? This has been so fun. This has been a, like our wildest month. Our summer blockbuster month was quite the scandal, really. <laughs> Uh, but I had a lot of fun. Like those were those were some heavy hitters. So honestly, I hope it shows that we had a lot of fun because honestly, like that's what those movies are meant for. It's just a good popcorn movie. Oh, I know you can pop it on and have a good time. Well, so funny that you bring up it was a scandal. Really, our Freddy versus Jason was like dividing some parts of the horror community. <laughs> I saw, <laughs> I saw people were popping so off in the DMs, bitch. It was They're- so good. They were ready to throw hands. I love it. I love anytime the horror community just gets like fired up, but it's so funny to me that it's the classic, no, Freddy would totally kick his ass. No, but <laughs> Jason, like it's, I feel like I'm back on the school ground. Like this is so fun. <laughs> Look at the material, mama. We said what material. we said. <laughs> and we finally get to finish out with, the, I mean, come on, the one that started it all. This is, this is the one, Mama. With the original blockbuster, bitch. The one that coined the term. Honestly, we're gonna need a bigger boat because TCQ Video's newest release is going to be the summer blockbuster that started this whole genre, baby. We're talking Steven Spielberg's smash 1975 hit, Jaws. There is a creature alive today has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. From the best selling novel, Jaws. (laughs) 
Jaws is currently available for streaming on Peacock for free. Y'all have no excuse not to watch this universal classic flick. You don't have to pay for a subscription. You just need to, you know, click and that's it. So go watch it. Pause, go watch and then come back. <laughs> it is a little long. I will tell you that. So you can't just like click and go watch real quick. It's, it's, uh, Set you gotta sit. Aside. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Maybe cancel that pedicure you got going on there. No, don't don't cancel that. We've seen your bunions. <laughs> Speaking of bunions, Jesus, gross. Four twenty. She's sick. Oh my gosh! This episode is going off the rails, everybody. I am so sorry. What, what are you smoking, smoke? bitch? <laughs> what you smoking? This week, I finally picked up, lately I've been getting better at like managing my smoke intake, but I picked up some member berries for sure, which is an indica. And then I also picked up some, oh, tangy. I love tangy. It's always a delicious, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lately, because someone showed me at my old job, you take some orange peels and then throw them in the container that you have them on. And it mm -hmm. helps with the smell and the moisture. Wow. That's so funny you mentioned that because <laughs> uh, a friend of ours just told us the same exact thing, except they didn't tell him not to leave it in the jar. So all the moisture got to the weed and the weed got moldy. <laughs> yeah, you don't leave it in there for long, sis. They still smoked it, though. <laughs> oh, I would have smoked it, too. I have no judgments. No, 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 ma'am. Do you know how many times I've smoked whatever I've dropped onto the floor? It's like, oh, okay. Whatever, the fire will burn it. What did you smoke? Uh, I am still currently working on my stash. Nothing special, nothing new. But I did throw a cup of water in my face just so I felt like I was at the beach. <laughs> I'm right next to you with a spray bottle anytime <laughs> Jaws popped up. I love it. And a fan. He was, pretty, he was making seagull noises. Ah! We are going to pretend we didn't hear that. This is just a crazy coincidence that this movie even made it. That Steven Spielberg was able to still be the hit director that he is now because this almost ruined everything. It's almost ruined his whole career, bitch. But Jaws was released June 20th, 1975. We have a runtime of two hours and four minutes. And our taglines, there were a ridiculous amount to pick from. So I just kind of picked the best ones. Amity Island had everything. Clear skies, gentle surf, warm water. People flocked there every summer. It was a perfect feeding ground. When the beaches open this summer, you will be taken. The terrifying motion picture from the terrifying number one bestseller. You'll never go in the water again. That last one's definitely my favorite. Because it's true, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Nobody went back in the water. Everybody was terrified to go swimming in the ocean after this movie's release. This one and Deep Blue Sea were directly funneling my fear of open water. Like, I will <laughs> not, no, ma'am. Oh, and the shallows. In the shallow. <sighs> not In that the shallow. There we go, back to Sherry yet again. What a surprise. Wagon wheel, what to see? <laughs> Moving on. To the breakdown, directed by none other than the famous Steven Spielberg. Written by, um, it was co-written actually by the writer of the original novel, Jaws, Peter Benchley, and he co-wrote it with Carl Gottlieb. That's what it looks like, so that's what I'm sticking with. Uh -huh. Carl Gottlieb, 
<laughs> Apparently there was multiple writers attached to this. Someone had put their hand in it and they weren't credited with it, but they ended up doing multiple rewrites. We're going to talk about this freak. I thought some of the movies we discussed had some wild production history. No, bitch. Mm-mm. Jaws they was like, oh, I see, I, I see you and I'm going to raise you some more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Starring Roy Schneider as Sheriff Brody, right? Yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, Murray Hamilton as Vaughn, Carl Gottlieb as Meadows, Jeffrey Kramer as Hendrix, Susan Baclini as Crazy as Chrissy, and Bruce the Shark as the Shark. Whee! Yay! Probably the most famous actor out of all of them. How dare Correct. you? Roy Schneider had quite the, quite the career before this. A fantastic career. I only really know him from all that jazz, but that's because I'm a musical queer. Girl, you're a joke. Moving on to reviews. IMDb gave it an 8 out of 10. Metacritic gave it an 87 out of 100. Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 98% on the tomato meter, y'all. That is the highest I think we've ever seen of any of the movies we've ever cut or covered. Easily, easily, easily the highest. And a 90% audience score. Which is also the highest. Yeah. Isn't that insane? That's insane, but that just goes to show, like, this is a classic. And then, like, it just, it still smacks. It does still as, smack. <laughs> as the kids say today. Right. I don't think they say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? For our box office, the reason why this juggernaut is here is that the opening weekend was a gross of seven million, and when adjusted for inflation, it's about thirty-five million, and a worldwide gross of four hundred and seventy-one million dollars. This also might be the highest grossing that we've talked about. Holy balls! Mm-hmm. That that I mean, it set the benchmark. It created the genre of blockbuster. So. Rightfully so, the sales reflect it. This was technically the highest grossing film of all time until Star Wars came in, I believe in 1977, and knocked that bitch right off that <laughs> pedestal with a little swipe over saber. But the what is so fascinating about this is during this time period in 1975, people hated going to the movies during the summer. The summer's block of releasing movies was known as just like a dead zone because there was no AC. So nobody wanted to go to the movies and sit in a hot, sweaty box, unless you're going to the sauna that every queer knows about. <laughs> so I the mean, fact that they still that. packed people in here is just kudos because you're right. This movie does still fucking slap. Yeah, it does. It completely created its own genre, which is amazing in itself. And I can't wait to dive in. <laughs> Let's go into our production. So like all good Hollywood films, it starts with a novel. Peter Bradford Benchley would start writing the outline to the infamous swimming killer in 1971, inspired by Frank Mundus, who had harpooned an enormous great white shark weighing at 4,500 pounds and by his childhood of shark fishing with his father and brother. So when he wrote this novel, it would spark a... <laughs> Producing partners Richard Zenick and David Brown would offer Benchley $150,000 and 10% of the net profits for the rights to his book and an additional $25,000 to write the screenplay. Although Brown would later state that they would quickly experience a state of fear. Quote, A panic of unpreparedness. If we had read Jaws twice, we might have never made the movie. Careful analysis could have convinced us that it would be too difficult to make. 
And bitch, did they learn the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> because I know originally they wanted to do this kind of like cheap, on the fly, we'll do it fast and it'll be a great hit. The the hubris of everybody involved is what <laughs> is somehow what made this movie and almost didn't make this movie because they were too like, yeah, we can do this. And then Steven Spielberg was too much of a 27 year old who had his head up high. I was uh -huh. like, no, 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 we need authenticity. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Honey, you've got a big storm coming. But of course, they move forward and it would come to the difficult decision to hire a director. Originally, they hired director Dick Richards. This, however, would quickly change when Richards would lose a job due to him constantly referring to the title character as, quote, the, the whale. whale. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not know the difference between a shark and a whale? He thought he was doing Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to do Moby Dick. Zanuck would recall this uh, firing by stating, quote, After he'd done it three times, I said, for God's sake, this is a fucking shark. <laughs> the library is open. <laughs> this would go to then relatively unknown Steven Spielberg. He had only done short films, successful TV films, and his feature film debut, The Sugarland Express, starring Goldie Hawn. The film was given an estimated $3.5 million budget and a shooting schedule of only 55 days. This would not be the actual outcome for the film. Boy, did they go over all of this. This isn't the first time we've talked about this, but this is the first time we've talked about this where it was actually successful. Because we talked about the thing when John Carpenter went extremely over budget, mm -hmm. but unfortunately that movie tanked and mm -hmm. is now regarded a fantastic film. We're gonna move on to the script. For the screenplay, Spielberg would get rid of a lot of the subplots found in the original novel, including an affair between Matt Hooper and Ellen Brody. Thank fucking God. That would have <laughs> just been so distracting from this yeah. already pretty long movie. But even after structuring the film differently, Spielberg wasn't happy with Benchley's script and would take the script to another writer. Wanting some levity injected into it, Spielberg sent it to Carl Gottlieb. Is that what we decided on? Gottlieb. Gottlieb, got Mick. Gagachandra. Who would go from coming <laughs> three pages of notes to eventually becoming the primary writer. He would even have a role of Meadows, the editor of the local paper, which is just, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I know, so random. Uh, a lot of the writing happened during a nine-week period of principal photography, and the script for each scene was usually finished the night before it was shot. That is no. so, I'm stressed no. out for you. I mean, no. No. I don't do that. I'm gonna tell you what I don't do. I don't know shit, I don't get stuff, and I don't understand things. I <laughs> I already hate enough when like I get to set and they're like, oh, we're doing this scene today instead of this scene. And I was like, but I came prepared for this scene. I didn't come prepared for that scene. That shit is still sitting in my car or is still sitting at my house. So I wasn't ready to dress for that scene. I came ready for this scene. So this is the scene we're gonna shoot. <laughs> but I'm not a diva on set. Absolutely not. I asked for three sugars. Three sugars. Why is there no soy milk at the crafty table? Why is nobody ready? <laughs> I couldn't. This is what I mean by like, how the hell was this made? Like, how did this like happen to like by spark the this? The skin of their teeth, bitch. That's how it was made. Because we're not, e we haven't even like 
scratch the surface of the problems of this fucking movie. Oh, I know. Gottlieb would have dinner with Spielberg and the members of the cast and crew where they would decide what would go into the film from those dinners. There is so much drama and information, including gossip that can be found throughout the film's sordid history. Wild, because I also remember Spielberg. 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 Pineapple Spears. Because <laughs> I also know that Spielberg had stated we're going to change a lot of the beginning, but keep the ending the same. And then wouldn't even do that and change the ending. Totally, I totally anyway. changed the ending after the screening, after the test audience, <laughs> which I, I'm kind of happy with though, because I like the new ending. I do too. But I, I think what the biggest difference is that with a lot of people who get weirded out by like adaptions of novels is that not everything translates to film, honey. And no. Spielberg fully understood what translates well to film. I mean, hello, mm -hmm. look at Spielberg. So there's like, there's that push pull and it needed to change. I wouldn't lie that it needs to change because the stuff that's in here is good. It's great. I would have pulled my friggin' hair out. I mean, aren't all film sets stressful? Like as, as much fun and creative as it is to like work on a film set and create quote unquote magic. That's really what it is. It's stressful, bitch. And for mm -hmm. people like us who take what we do on set very seriously, not so seriously that we're rigid on set, but so seriously no that, we're per <laughs> <laughs> that we're perfectionists, you know, we want to make sure we get things done correctly and we want to make sure that our job is done to its fullest. There's nothing more that bothers you more when they're like trying to set up a shot and they're like, who are we waiting on? And they're like, art department. I was like, no, you're not waiting on art department. I'm done. I'm pretty sure I see the hair and makeup bitch still fiddling with that bitch's hair. Don't you dare come after my department trying to do that <laughs> shit. No, because you're right. It's because we're both Capricorns. We're both Capricorns. We need a plan beforehand and make sure we know what's going on. But this is just like, I'm going to keep referring to it. Like, this is insane because we haven't even started filming. And there's already problems. I know. <laughs> For filming, principal photography would begin on May 2nd, 1974 on the island of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Originally, they thought this was going to be 55 days for a winter release. Just keep that in mind, everybody. Mm -hmm. But not wanting to do the traditional method of filming in a tank on a studio lot, Spielberg wanted the authenticity of the sea. This drove for the film to be the first major motion picture to be shot on the ocean. And that within in itself causes so many problems. Yes. Yeah, so it did. Uh, why would you want to expose yourself to the natural elements like that? The ocean is so unforgiving and so unpredictable. Not that, to mention what the like what you're going to put your cast and crew through of filming on the beach. We're going to talk about it, but Spielberg has also stated that like I was kind of just like ignorant and thought I could like control nature, and that is what pushed this production over the edge. Go on, go on, keep going, keep going. Tell the children what's going on in today's episode. Initially, the film's producers wanted to, wanted to train a real great white <laughs> shark, but they quickly realized that this would not be possible. How, you dumb mother I mean. You wanted to train a great white shark to do what? To balance a red ball on its Do a nose? flip. <laughs> I swear. They saw it in happy stupid. days. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, but what I would suggest that you do is keep your wig on. The titular character would be designed by veteran special effects director Bob Maddie and assembled at Raleigh Harper's motion picture and equipment rental in California and trucked across the country to Massachusetts. That is insane. 
I want to know how they transported it. Because in my brain, they just strapped up that on a flatbed. Yeah, and some poor kid is just like. They probably did. Uh, I would like to see. They would create three full-size prop sharks, each 25 feet in length and weighing about 2,000 pounds. They were made of steel with flexible joints that allowed tail, fin, and torso movements to mimic their real-life counterparts. This only worked on land. They, I do, <laughs> because mm-hmm. they also created the skin out of like this foam rubber material that soaked in the water like a sponge. Mm-hmm. I, I have to give credit where credit is due because yes, monsters were created. Yes, we've always had creature features and that's what this is. But no one had tried to create like a realistic looking mechanical shark that could do tricks in the water. Yeah. So like the fact that they even attempted this is beyond bonkers. They also rushed Bob Maddie in making these because they had originally, he needed like months in advance to make these and flesh them out correctly. And realistically, I think they gave him like a month, maybe Ugh. two months notice. Because they had about 40 employees, correct? Mm-hmm. So they had to bang these out quick. And so they weren't, they weren't tested obviously because the moment they put them in the water, they just did not work. <laughs> Absolutely not. And they were all nicknamed Bruce after Spielberg's lawyer, Bruce Reimer. That's hilarious. Sense and of also humor. Kinda, and also a backhanded compliment to his lawyer. Whatevs. I've seen True. I've I've seen uh, Law and Order SVU. I know what sharks look like. <laughs> <laughs> of the sharks, a full body prop with its belly missing that was towed with a 300 foot line and two quote platform sharks one that moved from camera left to right and an opposite model with its right flank uncovered the models required 14 operators to control all of its moving parts jesus jim henson is quaking (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine being the person in the water who has to like rig this shit back and forth y'all ain't paying me enough i'll tell you that right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) once these massive behemoths were brought to set in early july the platform used to tow the two-sided view of the sharks capsized as it was being lowered into the ocean floor, forcing a team of divers to retrieve it. And if that isn't like an omen. (laughs) Seriously, everything that could have gone wrong has been going wrong. Just wait. (laughs) It's just... Due to the ocean setting and Bruce, the film would suffer from a troubled shoot. The budget would balloon and would quickly go to overscheduled shooting days. Unwanted sailboats drifting into frame, cameras getting soaked, and in even one instance when the orca, the ship from this uh, movie, began to sink with the actors on board. <sighs> and on top of all of this, the prop sharks would frequently malfunction due to whatever you want. Due to bad weather, hoses taking on salt water that helped move the sharks, frames fracturing due to water resistance, and it would just go on and on and on. Spielberg later stated that during the 12-hour daily work schedule, on average, only four hours were actually spent filming. There would be so much trouble that the film, the crew would title the film Flaws. (laughs) (laughs) They're reading their own film. Bitch, I've never been on a set where we don't talk shit about someone else or something on set, so. Well, because you never know what the outcome is gonna be, so you're like, I'm just gonna dog on this shit and just (laughs) not that good. But there was a quote later on from Swilberg stating, like, on a great day, they got maybe, like, a few shots in. On a good day, they got one in. On a bad day, nothing. 
nothing. Jesus, that... you are th you're throwing away money. Literally, literally throwing money in the garbage. <laughs> this is insane. These delays, however, would aid the final film. The script had to be refined during production and it forced Spielberg to shoot many scenes so that the shark was only ever hinted at. In the film, the shark doesn't make its debut until the 82 minute mark. I know. But, but it creates this like Hitchhockian, like you creating a bigger monster in your head than's actually shown. Exactly. What you make up in your own head is much worse than what a director can project onto the screen. And so Spielberg had to be creative because obviously the shark was malfunctioning way too much. <laughs> so they had to find creative ways of shooting around the shark or only seeing certain pieces of the shark or hinting at the shark or what I believe to be the most um, effective was to put you in the point of view of the shark. Mm -hmm. That was genius. And yeah, that is. I don't really have anything else to add to that except for <laughs> you're right. Because the iconic opening originally had the shark devouring Chrissy, but was quickly rewritten so that it would only be shot with the actress being dragged and yanked by cables to simulate the attack. And mm -hmm. that just sounds like the worst nightmare for me. I'm already terrified of open water. And then you're going to yank me all over the place. I wouldn't want to be put in that mind frame of being terrified, but because I'm already scared of it, I'd actually accidentally drown. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, that's what you get for going night swimming in an open in open water. Like, what'd you think was gonna happen? We'll talk about Chrissy in a minute because I've got a lot of things to say about Miss Chrissy. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Footage of real sharks was shot in the waters off Dangerous Reef in South Australia, with a short actor in a miniature shark cave to give the illusion of an enormous shark attacking Hooper. During the shoot, a great white attacked the boat and the cage. The footage was so impactful that, that Spielberg incorporated it into the film. However, no one was in the cage at the time. The script originally had the shark killing Hooper in the cage, but the storyline was changed to have Hooper escape, thus allowing the footage to be used. I think that's smart. It is smart, and I love that Hooper survives because I have the biggest crush on Hooper, but shh, don't worry, we'll get into totally that. Your type. Totally your type. Absolutely my type, and I have <laughs> no shame in it. But things were literally changing on a dime. Like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, I love that footage so much. Never mind. Their character is going to survive. That I can forgive, only because at this point, like, you paid for that footage, you need that footage. And if you got this like great shark attack on tape, like it's authentic. You're gonna, wanna use, it. You're gonna yeah. wanna use it in your film. So I, I, I'm not mad at the rewrite. I mean, I can see, you're right. Go, go ahead, girl, you pleaded your case. <laughs> By the time principal photography concluded, it would wrap on October 6th, 1974, after a whopping 159 day shoot. Mm. No, mm. man, that is half, more than half your year. You more That than is half a year. long time to spend out in the open water. It's, oh God, I'm already seasick thinking about it. Get your Dramamine, bitch. <laughs> Spear, Spearberg, God damn Spearberg, you, see what you, you did. <laughs> it's my fault. Spielberg, truly believing his career was over, he was not present on the last day of filming. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know this. That was a genuine reaction. As he believed that the crew were planning to throw him in the water when the scene was done. It has since become a tradition for Spielberg to be absent when the final scene of one of his films is being shot. That's, that's kind of sad. I think it's 
fucking hilarious. You I think it's hilarious. This out for 159 days, and you couldn't show up on the 159th. Really? <laughs> <laughs> because he was scared he was going to get beat up. Uh, more additional scenes were done on the MGM water tank in Culver City for underwater scenes, as well as one more pickup of Hooper discovering Ben Gardner's body to aid in one more scare. Just because, according to Spielberg, quote, he was glutton for one more scare. And I actually kind of like it because that is the number one jump scare that got me the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did you know they actually filmed that scene in... I think it's Spielberg's swimming pool in his backyard. No way. Yes, they filmed it in his backyard for $3,000. I know that he forked over the money for it, but I didn't know it was his own pool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We love to see it. Moving on to music. <laughs> oh, wow. Before we break down the scenes, we have to include the infamous score by the infamous John Williams. This score would earn him an Academy Award and the main theme of a simple two note has become classic and cannot be ignored. His score makes the film that more terrifying. And I couldn't agree more. John Williams is a infamous masterpiece of a conductor. And I- Universal Studio owes their whole soundtrack to John Williams. (laughs) You know, everybody in this, Everybody in the world knows a at least one John Williams track from one of his movies. And I adore this one. I wish I could use it because I know Universal would knock my ass down so fast. But it's, dun, it's dun, just... Dun, 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 dun. Going to commercial! <laughs> Woo! Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Jenny Jones. <laughs> Jenny Jones on Jaws. During an evening beach party on a New England coast, attractive blonde Chrissy Watkins catches the eye of partygoer Tom Cassidy and leads him away from the group to go skinny dipping in the ocean. Tom, quite drunk, passes out on the sand before he can even make it to undress. But Chrissy, undeterred, strips down and dives into the surf. She was not going to be stopped from getting her rocks off. <laughs> Okay, are we gonna start? Cause I'm ready to go. Chrissy, Miss Thing, my f- So this movie is still so good, but looking on it now, especially in like the 1975 context, do you have any idea how many times I fucking laughed at this movie? It is so fun. I forget, I always forget whenever I watch this movie, how funny it actually really is. Like they really oh, yeah. they really implement a lot of comedy. And the part that kills me is not even on, even on purpose. It's when Tom's like, what's your name? Chrissy. Is that that because you're Chrissy at the parties? Fuck off. I wish that was Chrissy. What's your name? Nick. (laughs) I just smoked the wrong end of a cigarette. (laughs) This is great. I when I think of amazing cold opens, this is like the one for me. Yes. Because this still holds up. We didn't even talk about it. And I always love asking this question. 
where was your first exposure to Jaws? Like when, do you remember the first time you watched this? Ooh, that is a great question. I know, because it it's happened It's been many, 79 many. years, you stupid <laughs> Let me come and read myself before you come for me, you little c Oh my gosh. Um, honestly, I think like my first, like obviously by the time I was of age and like coming to realize like pop culture and stuff, Jaws was already uh, cemented in pop culture history. And I want to say like my first introduction was at Universal Studios on the tour, just like your cycle introduction. Um, I want to say that was like my first introduction to Jaws and gobsmacked, bitch. Gobsmacked. Oh, good. And so after uh, like seeing the Jaws like little attraction on the tra on the studio tour, I immediately like had to watch the movie. For some reason, like I can't really pinpoint it. Maybe I'll discover it sometime during this podcast. But I have this like, affinity for Jaws like I don't know if it's because Love it's like Jaws. the original blockbuster that started it all or if it's because like it's felt uh, like a film that catapulted Steven Spielberg's career because I'm also like kind of a low-key Spielberg like Spielberg god damn it I keep calling him everything but his name Spielberg <laughs> Stan sort of low-key um so I don't know but I, I like I deeply like I have like a love for this movie and I think it's because it's like a mixture of like a thriller kind of mixed with horror, but also like a dark comedy. <laughs> I know, it's such an odd mix. Um, I'm just gonna talk about it quickly because my introduction to Jaws was Universal Studios. I knew it. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, but quite honestly, and you can read me down the house down boots all you want. I didn't actually fully finish and see the full film up until I wanna say maybe five years ago. You need to leave. And I oh, saw wow. it on the big screen and I am so happy that my first time fully watching the movie was on the big screen because it was the, a cinemascope because the soundtrack needs to be listened to full blast and you need to get the full vision of Jaws on that big screen because mm -hmm. I was genuinely scared I don't know if a lot of people consider this a straight horror but I do because in its essence it is a creature feature I mean mm -hmm. come on a giant monster that's attacking and terrorizing the small town that's a horror movie if I ever heard a one great white man eating shark I consider it I consider it horror we've had this discussion before when we were putting it on the list for the pod and you were like mm -hmm. you were on the fence and I I think I was like the deciding factor I was like yeah I consider it horror it's horror and if not who gives a fuck because it's our podcast and not theirs <laughs> <laughs> completely valid and you're you're actually 100% right because I was adamant about it but watching this time around I was like this is totally horror this is totally horror there's villains there's drama there's jump scares this opening sequence is terrifying because continuing on with this plot as Chrissy swims further from the shoreline she pauses to tread water an unseen creature notices Chrissy's paddling legs from beneath the surface and begins to approach her Chrissy is quickly attacked by the creature which grabs hold of her legs and after a violent struggle drags her below the waves her screams for help go unheard and eerie silence follows her submergence I I'm still so scared of this opening sequence because she sells it for me. She yes. totally sells it for me. Backlini, Susan Backlini, she sounds terrified. And her like choking on water as she's screaming for help <laughs> is just, no, ma'am. It sounds like a horrible day on set. Yeah, it's, she sells it. Like you said, this is a great cold open. This is a great opening for the film. And I wanna, so it, it's already in the opening. Quote, and an eerie silence follows her as she as 
excuse me. And eerie silence follows her submergence. I want to talk about the use of silence in this movie because not enough movies, especially horror movies, can effectively use silence. They feel like they have to fill in all the gaps with some sort of noise, whether it be ambient noise, music, breathing, da da da, whatever it is. And Jaws, in my opinion, so effortlessly can like hold on a scene or just use silence and just show something. And it, it's, in my opinion, very effective. It is very effective. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really didn't think about it because it really does add just like an additional eeriness. I will say, however, as the film progresses, especially towards like its final act, the music becomes very different from what I thought it was going to be. Does that make sense? Yes. Because I know what you're talking about because there's a point where they get on the open ocean and that's all of a sudden like Goonies Jurassic music Park. Yeah, yeah, like Goonies <laughs> or Jurassic Park. It's so strange because in the beginning it's so terrifying and then later on it's just like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> It is. We're going on an adventure, guys. The surrounding town of Amity is preparing for the upcoming Independence Day weekend. Colonizers. The (laughs) most financially lucrative time of the year. The community depends on tourism as a major source of economic support and waits eagerly for each summer to arrive when the herds of mainlanders come to savor Amity shores. Martin Brody, Amity's chief of police, receives a call at home regarding Chrissy Watkins' disappearance, following the report made by Tom Cassidy that she was last seen off of the coast. Brody goes to the beach with his deputy, Jeff Hendricks, to search for clues. Hendricks soon stumbles upon the segmented remains of Chrissy, washed up on the shore and being feasted upon by crabs. Mr. Krabs! Surprise, bitch. Jaws had nothing to do with it. It was the crabs! It was the crabs all along! I think Spielberg is so good. He's done it multiple times in creating this depiction of like Americana. And I get that from nothing but Amity. It's like that sweet, cute little town that sells really cute trinkets that you'll buy, but probably leave in your closet and you forget about it. And when you find it, you're like, oh yeah, Amity Island. I got drunk there. Like it's, it's, (laughs) it's so cute. And I love Martin Brody as like our way in there because he's from New York, correct? And they, correct. (laughs) I love their opening lines. You got to park the car when they're (laughs) talking. He's working on his accent, yes. It's so good. I love all of this. And when we do finally come back to like where our story is, Spielberg does it multiple times in this movie where he doesn't show you what the scary parts are because we only see Chrissy's hand. I mean, that's all that's left of Chrissy, (laughs) (laughs) for being honest. But it's genuinely kind of shocking. And I'm sure it was very shocking in 1975 for like a major picture. I know. And it's like, Ugh. it's like all covered in like seaweed and netting and it's blue yeah all the blood has been drained from the limb <laughs> you've savored in that a little <laughs> too much i love this movie leave me alone back at the police station brody receives a call from the coroner who determines that chrissy watkins was a victim of a shark attack fearing for the safety of amity's many swimmers brody immediately prepares to close the beaches until further investigation can be made His intentions are quickly noticed by Mayor Larry Vaughn, boo, who fearing for the income loss that would result from closing the beach at such a pivotal point in the summer, attempts to convince Brody that a shark attack is too hasty a conclusion and pressures him and the coroner to change Chrissy's official cause of death to mutilation by boat propeller. Brody remains dedicated to the safety of Amity citizens and tourists, regardless of the financial toll the town might endure. However, Vaughn forbids him to close the beaches just yet. I, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my pedestal and I'm gonna push the short little mayor Larry off of that pedestal because I cannot stand him as a Agreed. character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but this is very much grounded in reality. This is capitalist America it's now. to its core. It is to now. Its core. I know it, it's now and it was then and it's going to be in the future, bitch. It's always going to be this way here because we are a disgusting country, but I'm not going to get started on that right now because <laughs> we're talking about Jaws. You're that girl. I knew you were. Anyways, so yes, shark attack. She's killed. She's dead. They survived, but they're dead. dead. We're and dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so now uh, Brody's on his way out on one of those uh, thingies where they put your car on the a ferry. Thing, and it's called a fairy ferry. <laughs> and so he's on the ferry because, I don't know, some Boy Scouts are out there trying to get merit badges and shit. And so <laughs> here comes Mayor McCrusty in to oh, sweep oh in. And he's trying to like tell, tell Sheriff Brody, like, no, dude, we can't close down the beach. We need money. Like, we need that money to survive here. She wasn't killed by a shark. She swam into a boat propeller and she got all fucked up. And then what's even worse is that he talks the doctor into telling the sheriff that, like, no, we can't conclude that she was killed by a shark. It could have been anything. Could have been anything. You never know. Could have been a fucking jellyfish. Could have been stung to death. It was the crabs. We have a horrible <laughs> crab infestation on this island. <laughs> She had the crab infestation before she got in the ocean. Oh my God, time and place. It was the 70s. <laughs> Everybody had crabs. It was a free time. Oh my God. But you're, I have to say this movie does, it, it does trek along. It is two hours, but the building of this story, especially in the first hour for me is some of my favorite story building because it moves mm -hmm. and it moves fast and you instantly know who these characters are you instantly feel for brody like he's your way into amity island and i mm -hmm. instantly on board with him you know he wants to do the right thing but you're mm -hmm. right capitalism just look at stuff right now it's like we had to fucking pull teeth just to get people to wear masks and like we're not still pulling somewhere. teeth to get people to wear masks here in la same here but like we're not going to get into that but like, <laughs> this is wonderful world building that i like it, you, i get excited to like play in this world mm -hmm. so over the next few days ferry loads of tourists arrive on amity's docks the beaches are crowded each day and brody is extremely concerned about more potential attacks as brody and his wife ellen sit in the sand brody scans the shoreline for any signs of trouble a ways down the beach, young Alex Kittner asks his mother for permission to go swimming. Though, Mrs. Kittner notes that her son's fingers are starting to prune from the time he has already <laughs> spent in the water that day. She allows him 10 more minutes. Alex and his yellow raft enter the ocean one last time before being set upon by what is unmistakably an enormous shark. Amid the ensuing panic of the other beachgoers, Mrs. Kittner, who had not seen the attack, calls out desperately for her son as the bloodied and shredded remains of his raft wash up in the surf. This is like some heart-wrenching shit once it all unfolds, but we also get some fucking excellent camera work in this shot. It's one of the most infamous ones of that dolly weird zoom in on Brody yeah. when he you realizes the shark attack. Pull out, a, pull out while you're pushing in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does to me. <laughs> uh, from a technical camera point of view, you stupid pig. Well, you're pulling the camera Pulling back. out of your zoom while you're pushing in towards the actor. There we go. And it 
it's excellent. This is so tense because we also, we do get to see Alex in the water, but Spielberg also sets up a whole bunch of other like red herrings. There's mm -hmm. a person out in the ocean. There's a dog who unfortunately does get eaten. <laughs> they always do, darling. <sighs> but like, I just need to state, this is 1975 and Spielberg, the, the second person, Spielberg, Spielberg, the second person to die is a kid. He went in and said, fuck yes. that kid. <laughs> yes. And we That's love that for. on this podcast. <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> we did it. We did it, Joe. I think my favorite part of, of this whole interaction is the other red herring of the like old man coming up behind her. And he, he thinks it's the shark and he just comes out of the water and goes, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> But my favorite, favorite part is when the old man finally makes it out of the water and he comes out to talk to <laughs> Sheriff Brody and he says something to him and Sheriff Brody's too concerned with watching because he's obviously very preoccupied and he just tells him, that's a bad hat, Harry. And the old man <laughs> gets offended and walks away. Because he looks like a condom wrapper. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're circling around the most important part here. And probably, mm -hmm. in my opinion, the most heartbreaking stuff is with Mrs. Kittner because Thank you for pointing it out because that silence is used again. All you hear is yes. the washing of the shore and everybody on the beach just gobsmacked and silent as Mrs. Kittner mm -hmm. is frantically looking for her son and it pulls on my heartstrings every single time. Yes, it's very sad. And the kill itself, I loved the way Spielberg shot it because rather than being up close and rather in all the madness, he shot it from the shore. And so that way the sound design matches the point of view. So you don't actually hear the attack. You more so hear all the ambient noise and everything else going around you. So everybody else having fun where you have this visual of this kid being attacked in the distance by the shark. And it's a fucking mangling bitch. It's not no like simple shark bite and pulling you down. That kid gets ripped up and tossed around. And there was blood in the water, honey. They, mm -hmm. there was, it's, it, it's so aggressive. And I think that's what's so jarring about it is that the, he shows this kid literally getting mangled to death. And all we got left is that raft on the water. And it's such an excellent, just like silent punch to the gut. And mm -hmm. I think it's magnificent. It's perfect in all honesty. With dozens of witnesses to Alex Kittner's gruesome death, the presence of a shark in Amity Waters is undeniable, and Brody is finally permitted to close the beaches. Alex's grieving mother offers a $3,000 reward to anyone who can catch a shark that killed her son, and a town meeting is held to discuss the official shark problem. Brody announces that the police department is expanding its efforts to keep the beaches safe, as well as bringing in a shark expert from the Oceanic Institute to assist them. Most of the assembled townspeople are more concerned with finances and safety and remain angry about the beaches being closed. Although Mayor Vaughn assures them it would only be for 24 hours. Hold on, my favorite line is when you just hear some random lady. 24 hours, that's like three weeks. <laughs> I didn't catch that. John and I had to rewind it because it was so good. It's <laughs> You don't see where it's coming from, but it's, the best line. It's very much the same energy of, she doesn't even go here. <laughs> Continue. I had to. The chatter is called by Sam Quint, played by Robert Shaw, an eccentric and roughened local fisherman who guarantees the capture and slaughter of the offending shark for the price of 10,000 dollars. 
Though this offer is not accepted at that point, Quint seems confident that the job will fail, will fall to him eventually. So this scene, this scene, this scene, the scene, the scene, the scene, scene that we're about, about to talk the about. Scene about. Is it fashion? But is it fashion? It's a scene, bitch. The scene <laughs> is a scene. So Robert Shaw is very like in character, I guess. It's bad, okay? Thank He's you. bad. It's not Thank good. You. It's very cheesy and campy. And whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. What gobsmacks me, though, is that he was allotted for this role. And I guess from, like, a perspective of 1975, sure, this is probably a fantastic performance. But looking on it now, the the minute that the <laughs> happened, I was like, no. <laughs> His monologue, I just can't, I cannot take it seriously. And my favorite part is when he's done and everyone's like, okay, next well, on anyway, the Well, anyway, this shark problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, who's going to listen to the crazy old dude? Who's definitely drunk. And definitely on a zanny. I, I know the setup is supposed to be like dark and mysterious. It's just, I think looking on it now, it just feels way too campy. And it's like the it is. parts of the movie that I'm just like, it pulls me out. Yeah. I think Robert Shaw is probably, all all shade, probably like the weak link of this movie. And that's only because of his deliverance. Our opinions for me, for, for me, me, personally, it's offensive. It- <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it's it's there. Mm-hmm. It's there and it's part of cinematic history. We'll say that. I like him later on, but continue. I'm going to move on. With Mrs. Kittner's reward made public, scores of amateur shark hunters crowd Amity's docks, coming from all over the Northeast. Two local men make a clumsy attempt to lure the shark with a pork roast, which results in one of them nearly becoming the shark's third victim. Arriving at the same time as the horde of overconfident fishermen is Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, the shark expert from the Oceanic Institute hired by the Amity Police. After a meeting with Brody, Hooper is allowed to view the remains of Chrissy Watkins, which are brought to him in an ominously small container. Hooper, visibly shaken after examining the mangled body parts, assures Brody that Chrissy did not die in a boating accident, but was attacked by a shark. Bitch, we done been knowing. Oh, wait, no. But, okay. Okay, 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 okay. The pork roast. The pork roast? The pork roast made me laugh so fucking hard because for some reason to me, it just felt like a Three Stooges homage because it's just like two clumsy folks coming over and it's like, do you think this will work? I hope so. This is my wife's pork roast. She'll be mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) That is the line, huh? (laughs) Yes, it is. Bitch, it's Massachusetts. We are on Martha's Vineyard. What do you expect? These men are out here trying to get $3,000. So... They ain't the, the pick of the litter. I think that the inclusion of like all the other people from around is so funny because we get like a montage of people just like chucking buckets and buckets of like guts of, into like, the ocean. Blood and and chunks of whatever. And, and firecrackers, <laughs> firecrackers. It's so comical to me that like, I know and, and I understand that it's adding to the context of the story, but this doesn't really go anywhere. No, it doesn't. But we have to talk about the hipster in the room, Matt Hooper. 
He looks like an Urban Outfitters employee. <laughs> no, Urban Outfitters employees look like him. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> I think he's the cutest character. Yes, I am biased. And for me, for me personally, I'd be all over this shit. I'd be all we over know. this shit in an instant. We I, know. I just, had to, I just had to state my piece. I had to state my piece. And I love his character. It's so fun to bring in an intellectual on it. You have a type, bitch. You have a I type. Ha- I'm <laughs> I'm sure your basement flooded the moment he slept. He stepped onto the screen because he totally does look like an Urban Outfitters employee. He's got the <laughs> little like Harry Potter glasses. He's got this like little beanie with this little curly hair poofing out underneath. He's got. I'm the, sure he like, smells like sea salt and like cardamom. sunshine. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Chrissy's dissection examination. What the f- you want to call it? I was also taken aback when like the coroner was like, dumps the bowl onto the slab. Here. Throws her onto the slab. The town breathes a sigh of relief when the corpse of a large tiger shark is displayed on the docks. Having been caught by some of the contending fishermen, Brody is initially elated, believing the nightmare to be over until Hooper examines the creature's mouth and determines that its bite radius does not match the wounds on Chrissy Watkins' remains. Hold up. How is he able to determine that Chrissy Watkins' remains could fit in a shoebox? <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to take it the bite marks because that tiger shark barely had teeth when they showed it, like first out. Uh-huh. And Jaws, like when they do show a tooth later on when Hooper does go diving again at night, that thing is massive. It looks like a fucking tortilla chip. So mm. I can only, I know it sounds good. Is Guac extra? Always dollar sixty five, like I think that's where that's coming from. I would imagine like the tearing too would be vastly different. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. I guess that's I've fair. seen CSI before. <laughs> CSI Sea World. Hooper, wanting to be certain, suggests that he examine the contents of the shark's stomach, as its slow digestive system would ensure that any recent meals would still be inside. Brody supports this plan, but Vaughn seems disturbed by the notion and disapproves. The crowd falls silent as Mrs. Kittner arrives, clad in black and choking back tears, presumably returning from her son's funeral. She approaches Brody and slaps him across the face, furiously accusing him of keeping the beaches open, despite having prior knowledge that there was a man-eating shark in the water. Brody, angry and ashamed, becomes all the more determined to prevent further attacks. This part hurts. It, it just hurts, especially since like Brody takes on the blunt of the bl- blame, even though I would blame everybody else, to be quite honest. Brody tried to fucking close the beaches. So that that part. Just, right, that's what just gets me so upset. <sighs> it's so heartbreaking. Like just to see the continuation of it on and like the actual realities of this kid dying. Yeah. Because like, it's ugh. one thing to it's one thing to just like show the kid being eaten by the shark and whatever and have that be a scene it's quite another to have the like to also display the ramifications of said shark attack and her coming back and and, because that's totally something that would happen Mm -hmm. and so i'm glad they showed that it was a really like heart-wrenching scene right and then not only that just like everyone is so gung-ho and ready to just like be over with the shark bullshit that they were like yeah no this fucking baby little tiger shark it's totally the thing that killed (laughs) that ripped apart that (laughs) convince yourself Uh, it's just i it's building and it feels really good that's why i i love the first hour all the way up until literally like when the shark attack like when they start actually trying to catch jaws be honest, mm-hmm. it kind of starts lags, to lull. Right? Yeah, it does. I agree. 
While Brody attempts to unwind at home with his wife and children, Hooper stops by to discuss the shark situation and steal his fucking dinner. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Now that's fucked up. Does it bother you? It does bother me. I was still eating this. Anyway, underlining his earlier suspicion that the captured tiger shark is not the animal responsible for the deaths of Alex Kittner and Chrissy Watkins. He believes that the culprit is not a tiger shark, but a great white, and that unless it is stopped, it will likely remain in Amity's waters until its food source is depleted. Hooper and Brody decide to examine the shark's stomach's contents themselves, regardless of Mayor Vaughn's opinions. We're going rogue. If you're not going to support me, Dewey, I'm going rogue. <laughs> you were just waiting to use that Gail Weathers like Yes I was Move your fat tub of lord ass now <laughs> This is one of the scenes that kind of lags for me I think it's good comedic timing And there's also that really cute scene With uh, Brody and his son And his son's like copying all ugh. Copying all his like Mannerisms essentially It's so cute And I love that they get drunk And then proceed <laughs> to go down to the docks To cut the shark open Brody gets fucked up when he pours the red wine and just pours himself a giant ass cup like of water wine. glass of wine. It's just juice. It's just some juice. It's, just, it's daddy's grape juice. <laughs> oh yes, daddy. I think it's just like showcasing more of like their their relationship and I just don't like it because we already know. We know that it's a giant shark. And I just We feel know like, this isn't the shark. Like right? Am I the only one that feels that way? I mean, I get it. The characters need to find out. The men visit the deserted docks at night and locate the dead tiger shark. Hooper slices its belly open, only to find some several tin cans and a Louisiana license plate, leading him to theorize that the shark made its way up the Atlantic coast from the Gulf of Mexico. And that was the night the lights went out in Brooklyn. <laughs> Finding no human remains, Hooper and Brody confirm that this cannot be the shark that they are after. Duh. I know. Duh. I just have to say, do, do tiger sharks really bleed like white, gushy stuff? No, that was so not. No. Are you sure? I don't know what that was. I, I, no, I'm sure. What kind of tiger bleeds milk? They cut her titty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but it was, it's just not realistic. It's, it's just, just not realistic. It's, I just, is it bad that my first instinct was like, I bet this smells atrocious. Horrendous. I could, I would not want to be in the room. No, because they sell it in the movie. They're like gagging and coughing as he's like throwing stuff out. By the way, everything <laughs> that he was pulling out of that shark's gut was way too clean for my liking. Where was the you blood? Wanted, you wanted Where more? were the bits? Yeah, and it was essentially like <laughs> chopped up fish. It was like sushi rolls that they were pulling out of the shark's gut. You're over here satisfied with this kid getting ripped to shreds, but you're like, no, I need more bits in the shark. Yes. It's just consistency. <laughs> consistency is key for me. Hooper convinces Brody to continue their investigation out on the water, though Brody is terrified of the ocean. Using sonar equipment, Hooper locates a large object a good distance away from the shoreline. Brody recognizes it as the boat of Ben Gar- Gardner. Uh-huh. Gardner. Like Jennifer Gardner? No, that's Gardner. There's no D. Got it. Wayo. <laughs> Brody can recognizes it as the boat of Ben Gardner, a local fisherman. Hooper decides to investigate this half-submerged craft, despite Brody's protests, and dons his scuba gear before entering the water as Scuba Steve. 
<laughs> Cooper discovers a large hole in the hole of the boat and finds an enormous tooth embedded in the side. While examining the tooth, he's suddenly horrified to see the corpse of Ben Gardner floating out of the hull. One of his eyes is missing. Ah! Cooper drops the tooth and his flashlight and rushes to the surface. I love all of it. I love this scene. I really dig it. This is where we come into like the horror aspects yes! of Jaws. Yes. This is where we get like our official jump scare. And this is a scene that they had to go back and film in, <laughs> in a swimming pool. Because like like you stated, Steven said that it still needed um, it needed something. And I, I agree. I think this is a perfect little jump scare nugget that the movie needed because it got me. It still, it still gets me. For some reason, I forgot about it this go around. So when it happened, I jumped with my notes and everything. I was just like, <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's really neat. And for any time there's like an underwater scene from like the 70s or 80s, especially like a disaster movie, I'm instantly, I just always think of Universal. I always think of Universal and this totally feels like it. I'm a sucker for like tank scenes. I don't know why. I just, I just, mm -hmm. I love them. Nerd. <laughs> Brody and Hooper make yet another attempt to reason with the mayor, hoping their latest discoveries will make a difference. Vaughn, however, still stubbornly dismisses their arguments, insisting that even with the evidence of Ben Gardner's ravaged boat, there is no proof that a shark is responsible. So much. I hate him so much. <laughs> Hooper explains that he pulled the tooth of a great white shark out of the hull of Gardner's boat, but Vaughn merely rebuffs him once again since Hooper cannot produce the tooth that he dropped in the water. Though he allows Brody and Hooper to take precautions to keep the beaches safe, he refuses to close them. More more, more uh, dialogue, I guess. I hate him, but I also find it so funny. All these dead people? No, no, no. We've <laughs> never closed these shores. We'll never close these shores. A shark attack? We don't know her. We've never had a shark attack in Amity. We will I just... never have one. Just give it like maybe three more years. Watch Ryan Murphy's gonna do a prequel about the fucking mayor and how he got here and he's secretly a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna be called Mayor in like red oh slash God. writing. Stop. <laughs> Mark my words, watch Ryan. If you take this, I'm gonna sue your ass. Independence Day weekend finally arrives, bringing plenty of tourists, but the beachgoers are made uneasy by the numerous police boats patrolling the water for the shark. Vaughn is concerned that no one is swimming and asks a personal friend in attendance to enter the water, along with his wife and grandchildren to put everyone else's minds at ease. The man and his family reluctantly and wearily obey, and others begin to relax and follow suit. I think it's hilarious. I just wish that there was like a music cue of just like dun 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 because everyone is just so hesitant to get in here. Yeah, bitch, I'd be scared to get in there too. I just love it. It's just like, get your ass out there on that water. But like, as most people would, they, like after the family starts to go into the water, everybody else just follows suit. Remaining on the beach, Brody is aiding with shark patrol. When his elder son, Michael, wishes to take his new sailboat out into the water with his friends, Brody asks him to take it into the adjacent estuary just to be safe. Michael reluctantly agrees. In the meantime, a dorsal fin appears among the swimmers in the main water and panic erupts. The crowd scrambles back onto the beach and the police boats close in, only to discover that the quote, shark, is merely a cardboard fin wielded by two young pranksters in snorkel gear. She made me do it. 
Yes. I love that line. They paid. Did you know that they paid the local $64 a day to come out here and scream and freaking cause a havoc? But this scene really? freaks me the fuck out because everyone just starts trampling on people. And because it's, it's real. Oh, it's so scary. It's genuinely Ooh. terrifying. This is like, this is real. Like this is how people react. And I've seen people do this for Cabbage Patch Kids. Mm, yeah, this is true. And fucking uh, Checo Me Elmo's and bullshit like that. People are awful and yeah, they will they trample you to not only save their lives, but to get a beanie baby. The setup is fun. And I just think it's hilarious that the shark is like, you know what? I see these little kids over here. I'm going to make my reveal somewhere else. <laughs> this, this shark this is, is not too <laughs> mainstream. This is clip. No, there's too many people here. I like a small, intimate scene. <laughs> Uh, my favorite though is probably the lady who's holding onto her kid. She's just like ah, all catatonic while everybody's just like running out of the beach, out of the ocean on beside her. The shots are so good. That's like the 1975 year kind of dates it in a lot of these like acting choices, but it's choices, choices. They were choices, mm, choices. But I think that's kind of what also makes this movie now. Just it's. It's just fun. It's a popcorn movie. It is. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) The beachgoers begin to relax, but a young woman overlooking the water sees the unmistakable form of a huge shark. There's a shark over there. No, no, no. Wait, no. Hold on. (laughs) That is not the way she delivers the line. And I have to deliver it because it's one of my favorite parts (laughs) of the movie. Because everybody's too busy on the main beach, freaking out about the quote unquote shark that wasn't to be. And so she's over here in the little tidy pool where the other kids are. And she sees the fins uh, grazing the waterline and just slowly dip under. And when she does, she just goes, shark, shark, shark. And I was like, girl, who, who did you expect to hear that? Nobody heard that bitch. Nobody was paying attention to your meek and mild mannered ass. The fuck does that mean? You want to talk about line delivery because people in the there's random people in this movie that deliver lines that fucking kill me because we, we kind of <laughs> yes 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 he is my favorite when they're talking about the shark and he's like that's a tiger shark uh, what? <laughs> listen here Ernest goes to hell it's called a shark a tiger shark there are different species of sharks. It is my favorite line delivery next to 24 hours. That's like three weeks. <laughs> Classic. Classic lines. These are so good. These are just so good. But continuing on, a huge shark making its way into the estuary where Michael and his friends are sailing. The woman's cry is first dismissed as another prank. But when Ellen reminds her husband that their son is in the pond, Brody goes to investigate. Michael and his friends are approached by a man in a rowboat who is instructing them on nodding techniques when both vessels are suddenly capsized by the shark. The startled sailor surfaces and Michael watches in paralyzed horror as the man fails to reach his rowboat boat before the shark rips him apart yes 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 this yes. shark is so smart this shark is just like fuck that boat fuck your boat fuck well, this fuck boat. you too it, 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 it's like it's got a personal <laughs> vendetta but that doesn't happen to what John the revenge <laughs> um i love this scene i love this particular shark Do scene you? because it's another moment where we get a quiet attack and it's from a very sp- like specific point of view so 
within this small pond. First of all, I have to start with the fact that every time I watch this and still till this day, I find this man in that boat very creepy and predatory. He's so creepy. Thank you for bringing it up because I thought the I, same Since thing. day one, since I first seen this movie, when he approaches those kids in that pool and he's like, hey guys, what are you doing? And I was like, you know what they're doing. They're on a boat, bitch. Why do you need to know? Why are you talking to these children? I've seen this after school <laughs> special. Don't you Straight dare come towards me. <laughs> so that probably creeps me out, but apparently he's trying to teach them how to, how to tie knots. Sure, whatever. Same tomato, tomato, ice cream cone. And so... <laughs> finally jaws comes up and he capsizes the boats and they fall over my favorite part because this is the third shark attack i believe at least that we're seeing and it's like an aerial shot from above and all you see is the man hanging onto his little robot robot rowboat for dear life and it's just it's it's haunting because you just see like jaws slowly swim up from underneath and he just drags him underneath with like little to no sound like all you hear is him like kind of yeah and being engulfed underneath and it's a great shot because all you see is like the shark head just drag him underneath and it's so creepy and scary it's surprisingly quiet like the kill Mm -hmm. is surprisingly quiet for how much like paranoia and craziness that just happened literally like a minute ago it's such a weird juxtaposition and i think that's why that death i like the way you're pointing it out is just <laughs> so jarring. But yeah. I mean, we deciphered the code. He was probably a creeper anyway. So bye. Bye, pumpkin. Bye, pumpkin. Michael and his friends are brought safely to shore, though Michael is taken to the hospital to be treated for shock. Brody convinced Vaughn, confronts Vaughn once again and puts his foot down, demanding that the real action to be taken to deal with the shark. Vaughn, for once, is vulnerable and shaken, realizing that his own children were on the beach that day as well. He finally relents and gives Brody full permission to close the beaches and do all that is necessary to stop the shark. Sam Quint is immediately hired. Finally, he gets his comeuppets, but I also secretly wish that he would die by Jaws. That's just like my own horror movie wish. Yes. Whatever. I wish he would too. Maybe he did one of the sequels, but I've never seen any of the sequels. You shouldn't watch. (laughs) (laughs) Though Quint, a vastly experienced shark hunter, desires to take on the mission alone. Brody insists that he and Hooper will go as well. There is instant tension between Quint and Hooper, with Quint seeing Hooper as a rich snob with no real shark hunting experience, and Hooper seeing Quint as a reckless thrill seeker with a bullish attitude. Though Hooper proved himself to be a capable sailor, the discomfort remains as the three men embark on their voyage to Quint's boat, the Orca. The Starship Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody watched that, Jackie. So apparently, the actual actors for Quentin Hooper notoriously hated each other. And that was kind of aids to this tension that these Mm -hmm. two characters create. But I think it's hilarious and adorable because we get Hooper sometimes making faces at Quint when he's told to go do something like a kid Uh and Quint just reminds me of like a grumpy old man who just like go lie down like you just need (laughs) (laughs) and he's crazy and has like dementia as well very crazy once out to sea the man set about attracting the shark by uh, ladling chum off the stern of the boat Quint attaches a line, a piano wire to a sturdy rod secured against a securely, specially designed fishing chair on the deck. 
After hours of waiting, the wire goes taut and eventually snaps as the immense creature swims under the boat before disappearing again. Brody, Hooper, and Quint realize the enormous strength of their adversary. This is for me where it starts lagging because we're just starting to wait for the shark. Mm-hmm. And that's my own problem with it because I don't like Quint as a character. I actually kind of no. like, I kind of despise him as a character. He's annoying. He's very annoying. And for me as a person of color, I'm like, you're just like any other white guy who just has like too much <laughs> to drink and too many guns and just needs to go sit down. And too many civil liberties. As the voyage presses on with no further sign of the shark, Brody grumpily ladles more chum off the back of the boat when without warning, the massive head of a great white shark emerges briefly in their wake. Brody is stunned and alerts the others. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Hooper notices the shark beginning to circle the boat and Quint rushes out for a look. He estimates that the shark is 25 feet long and weighs three tons. After barking orders to Brody and Hooper, Quint begins to fire harpoons tied to plastic barrels, intended to both slow the shark down and make its presence more visible. Though Quint hits the shark with three harpoons, the barrels have no effect, and the shark easily pulls them underwater. Just in time, Hooper manages to attach a tracking device to the beast before it retreats again. I shot him with three harpoons! I shot him with three harpoons! <laughs> he doesn't say that, but it just, like, we're Reminds me of Dr. Loomis. I shot him nine times. I shot him nine times. <laughs> I love all of this tension and buildup. I'm not really one for like, <laughs> taking it back to the very first episode, aquatic thrillers. But like, <laughs> this one, I think the tension is so fun. And I love, this is the only time that Quint's dynamics works for me. Cause I fucking love when he starts barking orders. Tie it quickly, tie it quickly now. <laughs> Because he's this fucking psychopath. Yeah, like this just adds more fuel to the fire, if you will. It's just kind of, this is just more ammunition building up to our big finale, I feel like. Because I quite honestly, some of this like lags, like this little bit of action is fun. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to get back into a lull right after this. I know the peaks and valleys in this one are just so high to low sometimes for me. It's kind of hard to like keep my focus as bad as that is mm-hmm. to say. But we get our infamous line when we finally get like a really good view of this shark. This is the reveal, Mama. This is the reveal, Mama. And boy, is it a good one. It's good. It's subtle. It's quick. And it's natural. Like, I think that's why it's so iconic, because it's quick, it's to the point, it's natural, and doesn't lag. And it comes out of nowhere, because you're just waiting with all this lagging. You don't know when it's going to happen. Up until this point, I think they stated that it's like the shark is a night killer, and like it feeds at night. They've like stated that a couple times throughout the story. And I'm stupid, and I always think that I'm okay during the daytime. So that's like my own baggage you always do that i always do that but after this like i know this is a very infamous scene we're going into but it's one of my least favorite scenes of the whole movie and you can come (laughs) after me all you want because that night the men have dinner and drink below deck and hooper surprisingly begins to bond with quint as they compare scars from their experiences with various sea creatures there it's honestly just like a pissing contest for a good minute brody essentially Brody notices that Quint has had a tattoo removed and Quint admits that the former tattoo represented the U.S. Navy cruiser Indianapolis on which he had been a sailor in World War II. Quint goes on to illustrate the horrible day in July of 1945 when the Indianapolis was sunk by Japanese torpedoes, leaving over 1,100 men floundering in shark-infested waters. 
Quint witnessed 800 of his comrades being picked off by sharks, and it clearly affected by the chilling memory. The experience, combined with the survivor's guilt, had ignited Quint's deep-seated hatred of sharks and the ruthless satisfaction he finds in hunting them. After Quint's story, the men sing a rowdy sea chanty to lighten the mood, but are interrupted by the returning shark violently crashing into the boat and causing a leak. Quint rushes on deck and fires a rifle at the three telltale barrels, but the shark escapes once again. I know that this is a very significant scene and we understand more things about Quint. This is also infamous for our actors showing up belligerent to set and trying to deliver this monologue drunk and none of it was usable. So they then spoke to Steven Spielberg and said, hey, can I get another shot? And now we get this infamous take. I, I don't know why. I think it's because I've never liked Quint up to this point. And when mm-hmm. he showed his face, I was just like, girl, that's just a queen. Like, how, am I the only one? Am I just a bitch? No, I don't. I don't okay. care for it either. It's a long-winded scene. I, for me, it doesn't make me sympathize with the characters anymore. It doesn't make me sympathize for Quint any more than I already did. Because, like you, I don't have the like soft spot for him as well. Not only that, half the time I have no idea what the fuck he's saying. Because you know, yeah, slurring like, and that monotone. He's always drunk and on a couple of zannies. <laughs> but I, I agree. The the scene lagged for me it lagged like this is probably my least favorite part of the whole movie i agree 100 and the whole reason why jaws attacked the scene is because he was sick of hearing their fucking singing <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh but you want to really fight carrie yoki night is over <laughs> the next day the men attempt to repair the boat with limited success seawater has contaminated the diesel fuel and the black smoke billowing from the exhaust wave confirms engine damage when the shark returns, Quint instructs Hooper to grab the barrels with a hook and secure them to the stern. Hooper succeeds and Quint attempts to drag the shark by powering the boat to full throttle. But the shark uses its incredible strength to pull the boat in the opposite direction, nearly capsizing it and causing further structural damage before Quint cuts the ropes attached to the boat. The shark breaks free and the barrels then submerge again. Quint demonstrates his mad obsession with, with shark hunting by destroying the radio when Brody was attempting to call for help. I just remember that scene, so I chuckled. <laughs> the shark begins to chase the boat and Quint steers back toward land at full speed, dismissing Hooper's protest that he is overtaxing the already damaged engine. When the engine inevitably fails, the boat is left to slowly sink. Quint, uh, strangely calm, offers life jackets to the other men, though he takes none for himself. Quint is off the rails. This is why I don't like the scene before because you're trying to get me to sympathize with him. And then all of a sudden you're just like, no, he's just mad. He's a mad sea captain. (laughs) (laughs) He's a sea captain from the Simpsons. He's a sea captain from SpongeBob at the least. Aye, aye, captain. Oh yeah, I'll give you that. (laughs) It's, I I think this structure is fucking sick. Just the fact that Jaws is, I keep calling the shark Jaws. I don't know if they actually ever, they never refer to the shark as Jaws. They just call it a, well, no. The shark. It's just the beast. It's just the shark. We'll call it Bruce. Hey, Bruce. But Bruce being able to take down this ship is horrifying (laughs) to me. Being stuck out in open waters is probably my biggest fear. And this is not okay for me. None of this is okay. No, ma'am. Go sit down and think about what you did. That is horrifying. Being out in the open ocean is, that's a lot. You're essentially just throwing yourself in in, in the elements with nothing but animals that want to feed on you. 
Or it could ah. kill you in ah. like a snap of a finger. Great, now I'm gonna have nightmares. I'm so excited. You're welcome. <laughs> Running out of options, Hooper resorts to putting on his scuba gear and having Quint and Brody lower him into the water inside a shark-proof cage. His aim being to inject the shark with poison using a harpoon syringe. Quint points out that the needle is too small to pierce the shark's hide, but Hooper believes he can inject the beast in the mouth. <laughs> Hey. I know. Sorry. <laughs> ah, prick me in the mouth. <laughs> the cage proves to be no match for the shark. I don't know why they thought it worked. Who attacks Hooper with such ferocity that he drops the harpoon and is forced to hide in a reef while his cage is destroyed. Brody and Quint haul up the remains of the shark cage and can only assume that Hooper is dead. They barely have time to react before the shark leaps from the water, leaving a breaching whale and lands most of its body on the sinking stern of the boat, nearly breaking the vessel in two. Quint and Brody desperately cling to the cabin as the boat is upended, with a shark's gaping mouth at the bottom of the drop. Gaping, oh. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Quinn ultimately loses his grip and despite Brody's efforts to pull him to safely, slides into the mouth of the shark and is gruesomely killed. The shark with Quint's bloodied corpse in its mouth slides back into the water. Yes. And yes. this is what we came for. This Insert is Chad Michaels soundbite from All Stars 1. Yes. <laughs> yes. This. This. All of this, this whole, <laughs> all of the ingredients, all of the contents of the scene, this is what I came in for. This mm -hmm. is the kind of shark movie I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. I want to see your life in danger. <laughs> I want to see somebody getting shoved into the mouth of a shark and being chomped to death. I want to see blood. I want to see guts. I want to see teeth. It's quite the gruesome death. I can only imagine the mechanics that were involved in trying to make this scene happen. This is probably like 60 out of the 159 days that they were shooting. Probably. But it fucking works. I think Quint's death is the, lack of a better term, the coolest out of all <laughs> of these. It's just so epic. And that's like the best way to put it. Because I've been, you want to see this like full shark attack. Because we've only gotten like bits and pieces of it up until this point. And boy, does it satisfy. I adore this scene. So good. It is good. It's like calamari. Yum. Mm. Horrified and believing himself to be the only survivor of this seemingly doomed mission, Brody hastily enters the cabin of the rapidly sinking boat and finds one of Hoover's pressurized air tanks. The shark smashes through the side of the boat, its enormous mouth per perilously close to Brody, who attempts to fend it off by bludgeoning it with the tank. The shark retreats with the air tank now lodged in its jaws. They said they it! Said it. <laughs> with a little more than the boat's mass remaining above water, Brody climbs to its summit with a rifle in his hand, now possessing some of Quint's courage and madness. Brody begins to fire at the approaching shark, aiming at the air tank in its mouth. At last, Brody hits his mark, the tank explodes, taking the shark's head with it, and Brody laughs triumphantly as blood and shark flesh rain down around him into the sea. Moments after the shark's vibrant destruction, Hooper finally surfaces, and the exhausted Brody is relieved to see him alive. The men share a weak chuckle before assembling a makeshift raft and paddling back to Amity Island shore. The end. What an ending. This like the fact that they decided to blow up 
this giant shark. I feel like this is pro this isn't the first time we've got explosions in movies, but I feel like this kind of like definitely started the trend of wild giant explosives to finish out your ending of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, let's blow this bitch let's up. Let's just blow this bitch up and I love it. It's solid. I know Myth I believe Mythbusters did an episode on this. I'm sure they did. <laughs> Myth Myth Wow, words. I have a list now. Mythbusters uh covers everything. And it's it's the perfect ending to this like crazy beast movie. It's awesome that Brody's the one that does the final kill since we followed him all the way throughout. I feel like if mm-hmm. anyone else took it, I wouldn't have liked it. I'm so yeah. happy that Zaddy Hooper makes it out alive oh in his God. dripping wet swimsuit. So that's great for everybody involved. How do you feel about And Quintine, you hated Quint. I know, it's a win-win for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie was so wrapped up nicely granted it's not without its faults it lulled for sure like that third an hour and a half is, like it's horrendous a, it's horrendous it's a, it's a lot so even though like i i i love this movie and i always wear my nostalgia glasses whenever i look at movies like this um i'm i recognize that it's not without its faults and if you've never seen this movie it will definitely drag around the third act for you almost guaranteed <laughs> kind of yeah especially with our attention spans now like <sighs> i know like, for sure everybody's gonna pull up their phone during that part where they're seen <laughs> and like scroll through instagram uh or pull up grinder if you're our dudes <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other than that solid movie solid movie summer blockbuster and it's a classic and it still holds up yeah i think what what's your final rating th- I think I'm going to have to give it a, a four out of five. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I can definitely I feel like I've given my... that like every, <laughs> to every movie this month. I think every movie this month in got your, like a four out of five. In your defense though, like they're all very good movies in their own select ways. It is so good as the, we talked about it, like being a really good, like gateway horror movie. It's mm-hmm. like nostalgia based and it's crisp. Then we went on to The Conjuring, which is, probably the perfect haunted house movie Mm -hmm. and a love letter to horror movies in general ah so good then we went to freddy versus jason which is like a campy blockbuster popcorn movie wwe meets horror (laughs) and of course jaws i'm gonna agree with you this is a four out of five like this movie magnificently holds up if you have a chance to see this in theaters i couldn't recommend it enough it is a jealous for the big screen i've seen some where they have some on lakes and they watch i don't think i could do that i would be genuinely scared (laughs) but it looks fantastic it's the some of the special effects are still kind of funny but i still think a lot of them hold up to be quite honest they do it's just filmmaking at its best it's filmmakers being forced to do stuff on the fly because something didn't work and something great came out of it. I love this movie. I agree. I agree 100%. And I totally saw that um, when they were screening it on a lake and they would let you sit in like tubular donut looking things. I was like, that's so cool. That's I so want to do that. But I agree. I think I've never been able to see this on film in a theater and I wish that I would have. Um, but I agree. I think if you can see this in theaters, definitely do it. That closes out our summer blockbuster month. It's been wild. There's been a lot of explosives, 
a lot of popcorn. But a new month always means a new theme. Our last theme month for our first season is a much needed break for your favorite TCQ video employees. Our theme for August is vacation getaways. Vacation getaway. Vacations are just something. We don't know the words. I don't know that song. I'm so sorry, everybody. But we work hard and we need to head to spots for some rest and relaxation. So to start off our month-long trip, we're heading out into the forest to get away from it all. We are heading to 2011's The Cabin in the Woods. Mm, I'm so excited for Cabin in the Woods. Talk about meta. I know. We're going to get meta. meta. You want to talk meta? Let's get <laughs> meta. Oh, she wants to talk about meta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I feel like of the people that I've spoken to prior to this, for at least what I've gathered, Cabin in the Woods can be kind of polarizing. And so we'll see. I probably won't be as polarizing as Freddy versus Jason because that shit. That was surprisingly polarizing. <laughs> Almost lunch. I, I think my car got keyed. <laughs> Freddy's back. <laughs> Bitch. So, I can't wait to I cannot wait to start this one. If you would like to keep up with us, please follow us on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. And that concludes this week's episode, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Don't go in the waters, please. I think after this episode, it's safe to say nobody is going in the waters. <laughs> but stay queer. Stay, stay safe, safe. y'all. Mask Bye. up if you're in LA or anywhere else. Just mask up, period. That's it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.